Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I've got in the beach shack Jen Biles. Now, she is a fitness fanatic. She loves the gym and also has got into beach sprinting and played hockey back in her early days growing up in Adelaide. Now, she was struck down by the news in her prime that she had breast cancer. Now, she speaks about her battles and the mental toughness and resilience she's needed to continue through her life, which will be a lifelong battle. Now let's sit back and have a listen to my chat with Jen. Now this week in the Beach Shack, we've got Jen Biles. She's got a really important story to tell everybody, but also she is an amazing athlete she can talk about as well. Fitness fanatic as far as I know, but let's have a chat to Jen. How are you, Jen? I am good. Thanks for having me on. Now, let's start way back where you grew up. Let's tell the listeners how it all began. Yeah, well, I am actually born and bred in lovely South Australia. Maybe a bit of an accent you might come across there. <laughs> so I actually grew up on a, a farm, so in the country over there for the good gosh, 10 years of my life before we moved to the city. And the city was where, I guess, yeah, my sporting sort of life started as a young young athlete, did lifesaving over there, did athletics, hockey, right up and through my teens. But then I suppose moving into my adult life, I've moved around a bit. So I moved, been in Melbourne and now I'm in Sydney. So we're sort of travelling up the coast chasing that warmer weather. <laughs> Did you play? I played a bit of field hockey. Was it field hockey mm, you played? Yeah, it was field hockey, yeah. So I was fortunate enough, I suppose, to represent state hockey for South Australia as well as athletics and surf life-saving as well. So I had a bit going on in those teenage years, yeah. yeah. And what club were you in down there in uh, I, Adelaide? I was at... Range Hockey Club. Yeah. Yeah. So we were the maroon and whites. We were the sea eagles, <laughs> which uh, I suppose doesn't replicate over here in NRL terms. <laughs> a bit different. But yeah, I had a great time playing team sports. It was, yeah, like I said, I, I think that sort of has instilled me that, yeah, working in a team and love, love the sporting world. And it, with the life saving, did you do with the nippers you went through down mm. there? Yeah, obviously growing up in the country, there's not many <laughs> beaches around there. So that was in the mid-north. So in Adelaide, we moved to a suburb called West Beach, which is right on the water there. Lots of friends did lifesaving and they could see that I could run and swim and everything. So they're like, come on down, you should have a go. So I spent, yeah, many Pretty much every weekend I was down at the, the beach doing nippers and then obviously moving on into patrol as a senior as well. So then after moving to Melbourne, when did you move to Sydney? So I moved to Sydney in um, 
2020, <laughs> January of, sorry, Ju- July of, yeah, 2020. And if you can think back to that time, which we probably tried to forget that, it was in the peak of COVID. So I was in Melbourne. I was working at a, a gym at the time. And as you know what happened, we we closed. And we had no idea when we would reopen or when we would have, you know, so I was out of work. I'd always thought about moving to Sydney. I mean, I'm always outdoors, love the weather. So had some friends who were in Sydney and they said, look, there's opportunities here for work. Gyms are opening back up here if you want to. So I literally packed my car, <laughs> packed my whole life into my car, jumped in and drove over the border. I think it was the day before they closed the borders and landed, you know, on my feet in Sydney. So you must have spent many years in Melbourne then? Yeah, I spent three three years in Melbourne, which was awesome. I mean, I still love Melbourne. Uh, you know, it's got, you know, the sports, the bars. It's great atmosphere, but I did really miss that sort of outdoor lifestyle. Even in SA, like just the beach is so close where Melbourne didn't really have that. And that's, I suppose, a big part of I feel like who I am. So it was like I really wanted to explore that more and like that's why opportunities come my way and I just sort of took it. And then Sydney did find it hard to get into the Sydney lifestyle or it was quite easy? Not at all. I, I It's funny you say that because I remember like obviously speaking to my friends in Melbourne, they're like, you're not going to like Sydney. It's so clicky. You're not going to be able to find friends. And I'm like... I think I'll be okay. Like I've been okay in Melbourne and yeah. And I think it's being in that fitness industry. There's, you know, you have your circles and stuff like that. So yeah, I slotted right in. It feels like I've been here, yeah, coming up three years and yeah, it, I feel like I've just slotted straight into it. And you've pretty much been in the fitness industry for most of your life? No. So I've been in the fitness industry for, it's coming up, I think it'd be like seven years now, five five to seven years. But previous to that, I worked in um, commercial real estate. So I did that for a big part of my life. Worked in administration, different various jobs like private investigation company, retail. So fitness has always been something I've been, it's always been a big part of my life. And that's probably why I moved into it because I was just like, I want to do something that I feel passionate about. I feel like I'm more driven to help people and I wasn't getting that fulfilment in a real estate role. And then Sydney, you went into uh, working in a gym when you came to Sydney? Yeah, so I I first moved into working um, at F45. So I managed F45 for a good couple of years and then I've moved into um, over here in Sydney, sorry, Northern Beaches, uh, the cube gym so we are more strength and conditioning which is probably more aligned with my training that I'm into and I noticed did you join a surf club here you, you do I beach did. yeah so it's been obviously like I said I did it growing up as a nipper did it all the way through until I was into my um late teens I probably around 20 or so I reckon I gave it away so it's been I suppose not on my bucket list, but it's best been like I've come to Sydney, one of the places with the best features in the world. I, I would love to get back into this. And then um, 
a couple of members at the gym involved with Queenscliff Life Saving Club. And they said, well, we've got a, you know, a master's sprinting team. Why don't you come on down, check it out? And yeah, so I had to redo my bronze all over again. But yeah, being back on the beaches patrolling and went over to Aussies this year even, which is, yeah, 20 years, 20 years <laughs> since I've sort of been done an Aussie. So that was exciting. Oh, that's good. It's a bit of, it's funny that you played hockey and I also, well, I did all of my beach sprinting when I was younger, <laughs> when I was about yeah. 13, 14, 16. And, um, and then I went into obviously the, the water events after that. So, yeah, so it's, uh, I didn't mind the beach sprinting back in the day and it's good fun. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just a natural sort of, I, I could swim as well, but it was like one of those I had to choose because you couldn't do both. You couldn't really go to swim training or sprint training. And I would, yeah, I chose athletics over, over swimming. I think less early mornings. <laughs> yeah. So you enjoyed the running, you enjoyed uh, going to the gym. So are the main things that you've been doing lately? Training wise, I mean, training has been a little bit hit and miss these days. Um, had a bit going on in the last six months or so. So that was part of, you know, a big drive to why I want to get back into life-saving, have a bit of a goal and really strive, you know, see where I could push myself. Also, it was, you know, I, I could train solo. I didn't really want to put too much commitment on a team event as well. So let's touch on that now. You mentioned the, the struggle you had for, you know, last six months or, or, or longer now um you were diagnosed with cancer so let's go way back to where it all started and and i suppose the first time that you realized something was wrong yeah so as we sort of touched on i've always been you know fit healthy that's sort of i suppose who i am it was in probably late 2021 is we'd just come out of the COVID lockdown here in Sydney and I had noticed I'd said to a few girlfriends like I was having like sharp pains in my left chest and they're like oh that's a bit I'm like oh it's it's a bit weird but nothing really didn't really think anything of it but I do remember having those conversations with girlfriends and then it was in early 2022 so maybe like Feb March I started noticing sort of a a lump or a a pain so not when I exercise or anything like that but just sort of notice a lump didn't really think again didn't even think cancer I just thought that's a bit odd maybe a cyst or it's, it's something chose to I suppose ignore it it got to the point where I'd be exercising if I did anything where I had to lay on my front on my chest it would hurt it um and then it was getting to the point where it was quite the lump was quite large so it was like uncomfortable so I thought I actually really need to probably get something done about this and checked so uh it wasn't until it's coming up, yeah, pretty much one year. Last year in May, I ended up going to the GP and getting a check. She she was even, yeah, even at that time, I didn't even think she's just like, you know, some women just have fatty breasts or lumpy breasts. That's just what it is. It could be like your age. It's, anyway, she sent me off for an ultrasound mammogram, which I waited three weeks to go get done because whether it was money, 
the dog got sick. It's just one of those things I just like, okay, I'll get it done when I'm, you know, in a couple of weeks. And literally from that day, everything just spiraled. It was from the mammogram and ultrasound. I had a doctor come straight in for a biopsy that day. So I think it was at that point sort of in the room, you know, that she spent a lot of time ultrasounding, took a lot of like images and then said, you know, I think I'm going to get the doctor to take a biopsy today. She sort of didn't mention much, but she said, oh, it saves you coming in another time for it. I think we should do it today. And I was like, okay, sure. That was on a Tuesday. I had a missed call on the Thursday and called back on the Friday and it was the I'd already pre-booked my follow-up appointment the following week with my GP, Um, but it was a GP receptionist said the doctor would like to see you today. So that's, even then, like I think that made me anxious, but I never even thought cancer. That didn't, it still didn't even really trigger in my mind. I remember calling my mum and just saying, I've got to go in today. I'm a little bit, you know, worried but I'm sure it's all okay. So off I went to the doctors alone <laughs> and, you know, get sat down and pretty much the first thing she, you know, she said, we've found like an invasive carcinoma in your left breast. We need to book you into, you know, the next step, we need to book you into a surgeon. So, and yeah. So how was that like? You're on your own. You're not expecting to get the news that, you get, that you're getting. And I suppose the, when you're getting the tests, I suppose because they're trained in that area, the nurse would have known that something is probably more serious. That's why she wanted to get the doctor's yeah. opinion. So what when they mentioned that, how did you react and, and, and what was that like? Was it just like the heart to the throat or how did it feel? The best way I describe how I've pretty much felt for a lot of like all of these tests, because I I had to go through quite a lot, even after that first GP appointment, is just really numb. It's like you don't sort of really process it, I think, properly. I know definitely after the GP told me I was in shock, I just was, and I just sat there being like, okay, yeah, what do I need to do? Sure, it's kind of like exactly that. Your body goes, you either fight or flight. And I guess my body went into, well, we're just going to fight. Okay, sure, what do I need to do? But as I stood in, like it was just a, such a surreal moment. I remember walking back out to the receptionist, like thinking she had to give me my paperwork for me to take to the specialist. And I just sort of stood there and looked around and been like, I've just been told I've got cancer. And I'm like... It was just so, it's such a weird, yeah, it's, like I said, it's even, I'm I'm speechless because it's something, yeah, I never thought, I just never thought it would be me. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's right. A lot of people out there that don't get a lot of checks and they never think it's ever going to happen to them. So, and from there, it was, it was the first person you rang to tell them the news? So I tried to, tried to call my mum. My mum didn't answer. I think she was, I don't know what she was doing. So <laughs> mum didn't answer. Um, I tried to call a girlfriend. Like everyone was just, at, you know, it was, what was it? It was about 11 a.m. on a Friday morning. And I didn't, no one picked up at that time. So I remember I had driven myself 
there. So, and I parked in the car park, I went and sat in my car. And I think that's when I kind of like, I don't even think I cried. I think I just sat there in shock. And I think, and this is just probably who I am. The biggest thing is like, how, how am I supposed to tell people this? How, like, what do you say? How do you call people and say, you know, I've got cancer? It's, yeah. So I think that was, is probably the hardest thing for me was actually telling people what the results were. And at this stage, you didn't know how bad it was or until this this was the next step to go to the specialist yeah. to find out more. Mm-hmm. And what happened then? So it's an absolute, yeah, whirlwind of what happened sort of after that. So conveniently, obviously, that was all on the Friday. So I had the whole weekend to to wait. I was booked in on Monday to go see. So obviously, and as well, I didn't know anything about cancer. What happened? I was just, your first thing that you always think of is, okay, we'll just go and get some chemo. Like that's it. But there's obviously different stages and directions that you go. So the first point of call is you go see a surgical oncologist because the first point is, can they remove it? Can they remove it depending on what stage? So I went to the surgical oncologist on the Monday, they had a check and he sort of, one of the questions he asked me was, um, so what do you remember from the appointment with your GP? And I said, oh, that I've got, I know I've got a tumour and I think it's about, you know, this big, like it's two by two centimetres, it's just a little lump. He goes, you've got a four by three centimetre tumour so it's a little bit bigger <laughs> than what you think it is. So we need to send you for more tests. We need to send you for, I had to go get another ultrasound and biopsy on my lymph nodes in the armpit to see whether that had spread. I had to go for an MRI and then a PET scan. So the PET scan is the one where they put the radioactive sort of glucose through you and they scan. So rather than a CT, this actually like everything glows. Anything that I suppose is cancerous will glow um, under that light. So this was all in the first week I had all these. So I had him on the Monday. I had these other tests on the Wednesday. Then I went back to see him and the results from the PET scan, he said there is something, they can't tell if it is cancer or not, but something in my pelvis was slightly, I suppose, showing up on the scans and something in your chest, but that might be something else. So we won't be too concerned with that. So I was like, okay, you're sort of just going with whatever you're told. And then it wasn't until the following so then another week went by when they're still deciding because I was then told I was possible for a clinical trial so clinical trials are great means you're going to get the best of the best um you know you might get a placebo but you also might get this new butte drug that they're bringing out that can really help so there was a an immunotherapy trial and I was looking likely to be a candidate for that but I was waiting to see what these scans were. Um, So the next week they called me to say, we're not quite sure of what's showing up on your scan, so we're going to need to do a bone biopsy because we need to know whether those scans, whether that's what's showing is actually 
I suppose, cancer because if it is, we can't put you on the trial. And that's all I thought of. I didn't think anything else really of it. So on the Friday, I had to go get a bone biopsy of my pelvis, which I mean, isn't the most pleasant thing that you you can think of, like a huge, uh, you know, I've still got the scar on my butt from it. That's how big the like the needle is. So that in itself, that experience was like, I suppose I'm someone, I say I'm fit, healthy, whatever. I've never been to hospital, like in a sense. And now I've been to hospital, what, like five times in one week. And from the the amount of anesthetic they had to give me, like the local in my leg. I couldn't actually feel my leg for a good 12 hours. It was like, and from that, they're also telling you, well, we have to keep you in hospital because we need to know whether we don't, we're pretty sure we didn't hit a nerve, but if your leg doesn't come back, you know, we need to go in and check something more. So I got put in a ward overnight. Yeah, after 12 hours it did, I did start to get feeling back. But that was pretty scary, like looking, like I said, at in the point of time, I think I was like very fight mode. I was just like, okay, whatever. But looking back on it now, like I was like, it's not where I thought I would be. <laughs> like, well, I was going to say, it's like um, how were you dealing with that mentally? You sort of touched on it then, but in hindsight, looking back, it must have been traumatic. One, you got cancer, next thing you you've had a needle and and your leg may not come back. Yeah. You might not feel your leg again. Like it must and have again, been unbelievably yeah. traumatic. It's looking back on it and how I was then, it wasn't even, it wasn't the cancer that scared me. It was more the what if my leg doesn't work. That scared me more than the cancer, which is crazy. And through all of it, it's just like, I think, like I said, that real feeling of just very numb, like what is going on because yeah we had that on the Friday so this is now week coming into week two of diagnosis the next week I got the phone call about the like I need to go in on the Wednesday so I always went in on the Wednesday because they would have their medical meetings on the Wednesday morning so I would go in on a Wednesday afternoon and see the oncologist so by this point I'd now skipped the surgical oncologist was no longer involved after this because they found from that bone biopsy that that it was positive. So it was positive for cancer. So that PET scan had showed up that I had four spots in my pelvis and one spot in my T11 spine were cancer cells. So from that point, it changed everything, but I, I don't, like I said, a bit of a blur. So they've gone and said to me, so you're no longer stage two or three, you're now stage four, which they didn't tell me stage four. I remember them telling me you now have what we call metastatic, metastatic breast cancer, which is stage four, but they call it metastatic now, um, which means obviously the cancer has spread from its original point and it's now treatable but not curable so this like well changes everything because it's no longer I suppose it's a long game now it's no longer like the short game we don't have you know I haven't had chemo because people that's 
why it's like because there's other drugs available because this isn't a short stint I can't just keep having chemo forever so it's changed the game but that wasn't the last of the test after the bone biopsy I still had to get another biopsy on my lungs on the lymph nodes in there because they'd found obviously that showed up as well so I had to go under for that and had obviously a tube up the nose and down the throat. So again, another day in hospital, another test. Yeah, and that came back positive too, which wasn't... (laughs) So, but the thing was, I wasn't even surprised because I just expected it by then. I was like, well, if it was in the bones where they didn't think it was going to be, it's definitely going to be there. Do they still think it originated from the the breast cancer? Yeah. That was where it started? Yeah, yeah. So... When they say metastatic, it's um, it's usually like it's not, there wasn't big, they're more like lesions rather than big tumours on the bones. It's definitely started in the breast. That's why, yeah, usually it's a, but what mine is is also called de novo, de novo metastatic breast cancer. De novo meaning like I haven't had cancer before. What would happen, not most of the time, but what would happen is someone may have started with a stage two or stage three. They've, you know, been in remission and then maybe, you know, 10 years later it comes back in the lungs or the bones or something. That's metastatic. But mine is like, well, the first time it's literally they found it not just in the breast but elsewhere. And for the travel elsewhere, is it the travel quite quick or is because you may have had this the breast cancer building up for for a longer period and then it was able to spread yeah and that's something they they can't they can't know or they can't say i mean that's also something that i do have in in my mind it's like well maybe if i had have gone earlier would have we maybe have caught it at stage 2 which is you know a lot better than stage 4 clearly it is something that i often think about but that they can't say if anything, you know, they can say they can't say how long that it had spread. All I do know that it was growing quickly. It was growing at about a sixty percent rate, which um, cancer cells. If anyone knows what cancer cells, they obviously multiply, so they go two, four, six, eight, and they just keep growing and growing. And the reason they spread is they just don't know when to stop. So yeah, they, it was growing quite quickly. So who who knows? You know, in we may have caught caught stage four early, but I don't know I don't know how you can really think of it like it's a good thing. <laughs> so obviously, then you you had to have treatment to continue. Mm. But how was your friends and your family? You know, once they found out that what was actually going on, I think like like I was myself. I think like a huge shock. You know, and I, I definitely think, you know, people are just, to use the word, I suppose, devastated. It's like, how can it, how can it be happening? You know, to the point that it, that it is. It's like, how did we not, you know, we never thought you'd be going down. The, I suppose no one ever thinks I'd be going down this road. But it, yeah, I think they're just more upset because I, you know, someone which I do consider myself so strong and so positive and like. I suppose that's why these days is someone's you can be as positive as you like it doesn't doesn't stop 
it from happening. Obviously, it helps, you know, to get through it, but I don't think it's ever going to stop it. But everyone's been so supportive. Like we held, I think it was in July, um, we held a huge fundraiser at the gym and we had, you know, over 150, 200 people there. A bunch of us shaved our heads, you know, and to see that support and just people, I suppose, like come out the woodwork as well that you you know but you didn't really think, you know, would have an interest in how you are or how your life's going have really, you know, shown their support. And I suppose that's given me even more drive, I suppose, to make people aware, yeah, that it can happen to anyone. And the treatment now, so just run us through the treatment on what you had to do once obviously you got to that point mm. and the drugs that you had to have and, and the toll that took, you know, on your body itself. Yeah, or still is still having is. a toll. Yeah, so that's, I suppose, something that I'm really advocating for is these women like myself that are living, we are living with cancer, and I suppose it's like living with any chronic disease or illness is it's a little bit different and it's not sort of like I suppose as highly I mean it's it's no not a competition but it's not as highly made aware of as say someone who gets to ring that bell at the end of their chemo treatment or at the end of their radiation so I'm on a I'm on hormone therapy because my um my cancer was hormone positive so that's put me into early menopause so or chemical menopause whatever they might call it so I have to take uh, an injection every month every month for the rest of my life and I have to take a tablet every day and that stops the estrogen in my body so that has its side effects so if you've ever like (laughs) I know like whether anyone's met a woman with menopause I can totally sympathize with them because it is it's bloody hard it's you know people just think oh it's a hot flush it's you know it estrogen in your body affects so many other things than just a hot flush it's it's your joints it's you know it's you know weight gain in women it can be mood swings and they literally have no control over it so that's something you know coming to terms with I'm also on so I'm really fortunate that I'm on a drug called ribocyclob which is a targeted therapy so rather than being on something like a chemotherapy which um, as we know chemotherapy kills everything so a targeted therapy only targets the cancer cells so it can't kill it I suppose but it can stop it from growing so it stops the cell from you know multiplying so it has already in I've been on this nine months it's like the tumor has shrunk like everything shrunk and it's stable so and people like well that's what does that mean it means that's great but we just continue on this same treatment so someone who's on, um, who has got metastatic cancer, we call this like our first line treatment. So I'll be on first line for as long as my body can handle this and hold on to this. And then if something changes, then we go to the next drug. 
So it'll be the second line. There's some women up to, you know, their seventh, eighth line of treatment. So a big thing is people like, oh, but, you know, breast cancer has so much funding and research. And, and they said, well, yeah, that's great. It is the most common cancer to women. So they are still putting more money because they need more money for more research. It's still not, you know, there's still not a cure. So as you said, it depends on everybody's body. Everyone's mm. different, obviously, and, mm-hmm. and everybody's body will react differently to these drugs. So there's no real time frame of when the next stage or if you ever get to the next stage. No one really knows that, do they, at the moment? They don't, and that's, I suppose, the mental, the biggest mental challenge that comes with cancer, and I'd say that wholeheartedly that physically this has been, I mean, it has been the fatigue that I had in those first six months was unbelievable like there were I'd be fine for a couple of weeks and then I'd just be rocked for two days they dropped my dosage so that did get a lot better but in terms of like the mental side of things it's yeah how do you that's it I don't know I have to go for scans still every three months three months for the rest of my life and you've got to think well is this scan going to be okay Are they going to show, is something else going to show up? Like that, we don't know. And that's something why we talk about you got to live day by day, but you got to try because if you try and look too far ahead, it's it's really hard. It must be really tough. I mean, just think of myself, it'd be, you must go through nights you can't sleep, you know, the worry, the, Mm -hmm. you know, it must just all build up. And there must be days that, you know, as you say, you're positive, you try and be positive, but, geez, it must get you some days, though. Definitely. It's, like I said, it is coming up to my one-year anniversary, and I think it has sort of hit home that, like, this is my, this is my life now. Like, this, this is just how it is going to be, and there is no, you know, way we can go back on that. So it's learning they're saying it's it's not even learning to live with it. It's, it's it's adjusting. It's adjusting the life that I used to have to the life I have now because it is different and it will be different. So, you know, I just, I definitely don't train like I used to. And, you know, the desire to train like that again just doesn't, you know, have as much interest, I suppose, because, as much you know the fatigue is is harder so that's where I suppose I went back to sprinting because it's short sharp I can do it I can manage it but yeah it's trying to find those small little wins that you can I think that makes makes it easier but it's definitely hard I'm I've been lucky enough I suppose to connect with a few other women not just breast cancer but like bowel cancer which is which I've you know that needs more awareness too but there's so many young women out there that are you know living unfortunately with this like I said living with cancer and yeah it's it is hard mm. and we don't as you said we we don't really hear about it you always hear the you know people get cancer but then you hear of oh they've they've beaten it or or you hear that they, that they haven't beaten it and and it's like but it's an eye-opener for me as well because it's the ongoing, the people that are ongoing living with it, which you don't really realise because you think it's, you know, you either get cured or you don't. Mm-hmm. It's not that you could go on living for years and years and years and that just affects your life. 
Yeah, it's really that limbo state. It's exactly right. And I know they are trying, especially the Breast Cancer Network Australia, are trying to bring a real big voice to women, oh, I suppose, and men living with metastatic disease because it's it's not terminal, like as in terminals where, you know, the cancer is everywhere and they can't control it. This is controllable, but it's still like, hang on, hey, you can't still go do, you know, you can't just forget about it. It's it's there. It's a it's a constant. So it's and it's still exactly that. A lot of people still don't understand it because I've even had someone yesterday ask me, "Oh, I heard you're in remission." I'm like, "No, I got a good scan, but that doesn't mean I'm in remission. It just means that's good. <laughs> it means we keep going with the same treatment you're on." So that's yeah. I think that's been the hardest thing because a lot of the time as well, I I look good. Uh, like as in a way like I look I suppose normal whatever normal is but I look fit I look healthy you know so to tell someone that you've got cancer I think that's like because we we listen with our eyes like what we see is what oh then also like oh Jen's training she's training hard she must be she must be fine well, they probably so, see you doing beach sprinting, and, and yeah, they think, yeah, well, yeah. they probably think someone with cancer is not going to be able to do beach sprinting. That, that's the yeah. mentality that, that you know that we all have, and and that's yeah. you know it's it's good you've come out speaking about it because it, it lets people know what other people are dealing with, and and like I, I always say with this podcast, it's everybody goes through a tough time in their life. Obviously, some harder and worse than others, but. It's just a part of life that, you know, and I always hear and talk to the young kids that don't understand that. They see, especially with social media, they see all these people as if they're having these perfect lives and their life is no good. But everybody's going through whatever it is within their life. And and it's great that you're speaking out and and educating people. As you said, I mean, looking at you now, Mm. if I didn't know you had cancer I would think there's nothing wrong with you yeah so it's, it's something that uh is, is really really good now the other thing um going through all this if you got that mentality though of never to give up yeah I don't think it's ever like say I it's, it's a very weird concept when you're uh, I suppose diagnosed with stage four is because you can be labelled with a life expectancy, I suppose. It's not something that they ever discuss with you openly unless you ask. And even in itself, that's not something that scares me. It's more what can I do differently in this time that I do have. So I think that's probably what it's um, given me not... I suppose to, you know, thinking more about I need to even step more outside my comfort zone and do things that I really want to do and I really enjoy because, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, like to live every day as is virtual last, but it has made me really think about the things that are important to me and what I want to do, you know, with this life. And what are you doing now to get the message out there? Is there anything you're doing to help other women that may be in the same situation or potentially people listening to this podcast could be in the same situation or it may happen to them in the next year, five years, 
down the track. Yeah, I think like like you say, social media is such a powerful thing, and I have really been trying to use that as openly as I as I can to share my story. There is plans for my own podcast down the track as well, because I think that is something that I found when I was first diagnosed is, you know, a young female. I found it really hard to find information straight up off the bat without obviously searching for it. So I thought that would be a really like great way to be able to just, you know, exactly what we're doing, having a chat, but having with a chat with other women about their experiences and how they have found it, because that's one thing, yeah, I did struggle to find. And I, I find I find it really liberating to be able to talk about it because I found that all these things I didn't know about cancer or menopause or treatment it's like how did I not know this why are we like I suppose you know unfortunate thing but I have found so many other young women out there that have you know had an experience with it or had a friend and it's like let's get more educated so people know not just what to say but what to look out for and what's your message to other women out there is uh, if you get a bit of a pain or if you get any type of symptom, go straight away and get things checked and or keep on top of it and, and, and getting yeah. regular checks. I think more so like you don't, I don't want to like freak people out that as soon as they get a pain, oh, I need to go get it checked. But I also don't want people to be like in the position where they're afraid to do something about it or they've had that, you know, a GP go to them, oh, you're far too young to get checked. It's better to, like I said, to have a base to work with. So it's doing which, you know, a lot of things out there are promoting, you know, the first of the month, always do a check and do a check. And if it's different, you know, the next month, then maybe that might be a reason to go, you know, go see your GP. But it's being aware of, I suppose, the symptoms and that there are because I wasn't aware. I just thought there was a lump, but there's, you know, there's lots of other things that can be a symptom but it's not just even about you know breast cancer I mean it's you know your skin checks it's everything I think we should just be a little bit more diligent with you know our health in general like like I said I pride myself on being a healthy fit person and I can't before that time I can't remember the last time I went to a GP for a checkup well you've also there's a a GoFundMe page is is it Mm. tell us about that and, and how people can help out Yeah, so we started, this was last year, my girlfriend set up a GoFundMe page and I suppose I like to put it, it's it's a a safety net for myself because my future, I suppose, is uncertain. Like there could be, you know, there could be a new drug that comes out that I don't have access to if I don't have the money, which is, you know, the most unfortunate thing with, you know, cancer is that newer treatments and newer drugs do cost a lot of money until they get on the PBS. So the GoFundMe was set up, yeah, as a little, I suppose, safety net, yeah, to be able to tap into if anything, you know, happens down the track or even just to, you know, have those experiences if something does come up to be able to, you know, take a holiday, take a break, yeah. What's, uh, is there a handle they can go to uh, to find it? Yeah, if they go to like my Instagram, which is at Jen Biles, there's a little link in there that has a GoFundMe. Also, I think has some info on um, drugs and stuff like that that I am taking. So, Well, Jen, it's uh, an amazing uh, 
Well, it's, a, it's amazing how well that you're dealing with the situation and, and it's so good that you're out speaking about it because it's going to help so many other people as well that are in a similar situation. So congratulations there. And I, but I hope that, you know, you can go on for a lot, lot, long, long time uh, <laughs> yeah. dealing with it, do plenty more beast sprints definitely, and, and get out there. So it's a pleasure having you on and uh, I wish you all the best in the Thank future. You. Now, at the end of the interview, I'm going to put you on the spot after you've told your <laughs> story, which uh, is uh, my uh, five fun facts segment. So I'm going to throw some questions at you. Sounds good. What are the best and worst purchases you have ever made? Oh, this is a tough one. Best purchases. I'm a very practical type of gal. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the best, if we're going to go, maybe in the best purchase in the past six months would have to be my Nutribullet. Yeah. <laughs> it gets plenty of use. And I'd say that probably the long-term purchase would have to be my nearly 10-year-old French bulldog. She's, <laughs> I mean, she's travelled every state with me, so I think she's living the life. <laughs> yeah. Well, that answers the, uh, the the next question, cats or dogs and why. So that Definitely dogs. <laughs> Growing up on a farm as well, so it has to be dogs. I mean, girl's best friend. Yeah. Don't say guy's best friend. Girl's best friend. <laughs> Loyal. Just, yeah, always been a dog person. And, and just one thing on the YouTube bullet you, you were saying, it, mm. and I, I didn't mention it earlier, but did that change your diet at all now? You really look at what you're eating? I've always sort of been a pretty, like, eaten pretty well, pretty healthy. I did do about three months of no alcohol just because of the fatigue purely. It wasn't more so, like, health-wise. It was just – but generally speaking, I do try and eat well. I do actually have to take – because of my bones, I didn't mention that, I do get an injection for my bone strength as well. So I make sure I get plenty of, you know, good foods for that, as well as some vitamin D, which I, doctors are telling me that I get, it's actually quite high, <laughs> my <laughs> vitamin D. I think it's all that time in the sun. <laughs> Definitely. Now, what are you most proud of? Most proud of? I definitely, I think it's just as a person, I'm just throughout my life and throughout moving all these places, I think I'm just really resilient in general. I always seem to land on my feet if that sort of, yeah, I've been able to, you know, make friends and move and, you know, when things have got tough, I've always been able to, yeah, easily adapt and land on my feet. And I think that's why this experience, where I say experience, I suppose journey of cancer has kind of rattled me a bit because especially this part is that I can't shake it. It's not something where I can just, you know, get in there and, you know, do the treatment and get out. I think, yeah, but I'm still pretty, as you could say, yeah, resilient to, to whatever has been thrown at me. So I'm really proud of, yeah, I suppose the person that I am. Yeah, it must be hard because, being an athlete, you know, you get an injury, you rehab the, mm-hmm. the injury and you're, you're right to go again. So yeah. this is just a total different. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that's where I was more mentally prepared when I first got diagnosed to have like chemo, chemo, chemotherapy and radiotherapy. I was just like, okay, we just got to do it. We'll get in. And, and then when they told me this, I was just like, yeah, it's just, it's different. It's very different. 
Now, what's the most interesting thing you've read or seen this week? Well, I had a... I'm currently reading, I'm not sure if you've read it, Jay Shetty's Think Like a Monk. No, I haven't, no. No, good book. So it's probably pretty relevant to everything I'm going through (laughs) at the moment. So it talks about obviously living every day in the moment, a lot of it. So one of it was... um, you know, to have, you only have one opportunity in that moment. So for me, especially trying to rather than look so far ahead is to really appreciate those little moments that are in between. So it's, it's a great, great book for anyone that, you know, it is obviously all about positivity and stuff like that, but in a good way, like it obviously goes from being a, a monk into what he is now, but some really great principles to live by. What song do you have to sing along with when you hear it? <laughs> and you, oh don't, you, don't have, you don't have to sing it. <laughs> Great. Oh, I'm a sucker for, what is it, that Smooth FM. Yeah. So um, I actually have a Spotify playlist called Smooth and it's just full of all the old school, like your UB40, yeah, what else? we got some... Yeah. Some Fleetwood you, Mac. Fleetwood Mac, you too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. The Killers. I reckon The, oh, the killers, killers, Mr. Brightside would have to be one of those where you just have to. Also probably from the Richmond Grand Final where, you know, got up and sung it. Um, <laughs> so that's a good memory. Yeah. Yeah. No, great stuff. Now, uh, it's been a pleasure, Jen, having you in, having a chat and uh, getting your Thank story you. out. Uh, many, many people are going to enjoy it and uh, and take a lot away from it. So well done. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been great. Now let's go to Beach Banner. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack for Beach Banners, an old mate of mine, I worked with him many years ago back in the 90s. It seems uh, not that long ago, but then again, it is a long time ago. So welcome, Billy Moore. How are you? Yeah, good, Bruce. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Good. Now, I thought I'd get you on because it's you haven't worked at uh, Waverley for a long time now, and I thought I'd ask the question of why you came down because you were born and bred Queensland, and then you came down to work in the eastern suburbs. Oh, definitely, mate. Well, it definitely wasn't to support the Roosters, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Broncos die hard through and through. <laughs> you can say that now they're on top of the comp. Yeah, well, that's exactly <laughs> Well, I'm in a bit of a – I got the dichotomy of the Broncos supporters now. We've got uh, – We've got the fins at Redcliffe yeah, just yeah. down the road. They're a bit closer, so yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> no, I came down. I was work. I was working as a casual lifeguard on the Gold Coast, and I had a sort of like another little business on the side with another fella. And uh, you know, the girl I was seeing at the time, who I ended up marrying, obviously. <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, she got a she got a pretty good job. She got a job offer. She was mad mad snow skier, and. Uh, yeah, she she got a really good job offer down in Sydney, and I thought, oh, gee, what am I going to do? And I had uh, I had I had a job lined up uh, down the snowfields with through the guy she was working with, but it just so turned out that the guy the guy Len, who was her boss down there, he was mates with uh, George Quigley, who we all know was the boss at the time. Ben's dad was the boss at the time, and he used to swim with him in the morning, and he was uh, one of the brony splashes with him, and he and he said, oh, I got the got this girl that's coming down to work for us and a boyfriend, uh, he's a lifeguard up on the coast and there was a few jobs going. So 
you know, I, I came down and uh, I came down midweek and did the fitness test. As as we all know, the test has changed a bit over the years. It's morphed a bit. <laughs> but back then it was just uh, just the 800-metre pool swim and then you went down the beach and did a uh, did a bit of a soft, soft sand run and a paddle. It got the job and I started up Tamarama doing the, uh, I think it was, I think it might have been eight months of the year back then. What, my seven or eight? Yeah, it would have been seven or eight. I think we finished the end of seven, yeah. um, end of April, I think, after Anzac Day pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. It was seven months because it was a two-month, two-week lap over on either, either side of it. Yeah, so so I ended, I, ended up, uh, I ended up down there and that's first day down there, I rocked up and uh, – I was working with the fox, Dave Noonan. <laughs> that, that was my introduction. <laughs> well, I was going to say your introduction was with uh, yeah Noons, but uh, there's plenty of other characters. Tamarama created many of uh, a character of her lifeguard. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's got a uh, a long list, long list of. Uh, I don't know whether all of them are that distinguished, but uh, <laughs> they are. They are there. You know, probably. Uh, you know, they had guys like uh, Brad Mays who started off and uh, Nick and oh, Tommy Blake. Tommy Blake was there for a long, long time. <laughs> that The first first year I started, he was sort of still floating around a little bit. But, uh, yeah, he, he retired pretty much and went down the south coast after that. So, yeah, there was uh, – and as we all know, oh, Bluey's dad was the caretaker. Uh, Brad's dad, Bluey, was the caretaker up at the surf club at the time. So Yeah, it's funny old times down there. And, and obviously I still get – don't work down at Tamar – anymore but stopping the check on the guys <laughs> down there and day to day down there like we used to but mate plenty of other characters there were uh you know there's podge the stacker uh Pete Calhoun, oh that's true yeah mate, there. mate there, there was a lot they were all there over the years and the one thing that they had in common was it sent everyone mad eventually <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit like that in those days wasn't it george used to send you there when you were playing up he, he said you we used to call it alcatraz i think yeah, down you know, it was different for me because I, I came from Queensland and obviously I I had a bit of a surf life-saving background, but not a huge one. Mine mine was probably surfing. So, and obviously I knew about Tamarama because it was probably the best surfing beach in the city, you know, like the city, a city beach. So I, I knew that it was surfing. But what I didn't know was you couldn't surf there when the flags were up. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so my first day there, I got barraged with uh, fifty thousand guys trying to get them out of the water at uh, eight thirty. You know, so it was like going, "Oh shit, what I got to be, what have I got myself in for here?" <laughs> and it's, it's sort of changed a little bit, I suppose, over the years. But yeah, they've got a nice tower there now. Whereas we used to work out of the back shed and then carry a, a chair and an umbrella down to sit on the water's edge when it was busy. Yeah, and they had that uh, the the old dog box on the on the rock there, where where the shed is there now, yeah, the original yeah. one. You know that was uh, got got burnt down a couple of times, and they kept, getting, they kept rebuilding it. It was like like it wouldn't go away. Yeah. And then uh, actually, I was down the other day getting a coffee with um, Alan Jody is still there, believe it or not. The cafe it's moved. Yeah, I don't know if you've been yeah, down. Well, it's it's moved to the other side now. And, yeah, um, I was down there. I was down there probably about a year ago, I suppose. Yeah, so, yeah. good, um, better location for him out of the wind, especially winter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I ended up. I, I took my son down. We, we, uh, he's a mad surfer too. So, he was working down in Threadbar, and we met him. But I met him down in Sydney, and uh, we ended up, we ended up, we went out for a surf at Tama. So it was, it was pretty good. I, I actually knew knew a couple of heads out in the water and and everything. So it was, yeah, it was good. <laughs> Good um, waves and hadn't, hadn't really changed too much. Nah, same old stuff, mate. The uh, the bubble that no one gets out of the bubble in the eastern suburbs. They still just keep turning up. 
No, that's it, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of got everything there, hasn't it? Oh, it's got the lot, hasn't it? Yeah. Mate. Uh, well, Burley, mate, it's it's great having you in the beach shack, uh, telling some old stories. We'll definitely uh, get you back in and, and tell uh, a few more of your stories over the 90s. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure, Bruce. Thank you very much, mate. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's letter in the mailbag is from Jennifer, and she is from New York in USA. Uh, Hoppo, do you uh, enjoy doing the podcast? I enjoy listening to the variety of people you have on. And is it hard to get people to interview? Jennifer, it's quite... uh, enjoyable i enjoy doing the podcast i love chatting to people hearing their stories and from interviewing them get out of them the story and then for people like yourself sitting back and enjoying listening to the stories that people have and how tough life can be and also how resilient people can be and also compassionate a lot of people out there trying to help others Thanks, Jennifer, for your letter, and I will uh, catch you all then next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.